I still remember my first lessons in marketing is position. Where do you want to position your brand? I can say I charge people a bit more than other brands, but I believe I provide much better service. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of the Design Exchange Podcast. I'm your host, Thomas Grove, and with me today is Leo. Hello. Leo, I don't know if I actually know your last name, your family name. My family name is Hun. Hun. H-U-Y-N-H? H-U-Y-N-H, yeah. Okay, great. Like, I put my name as Leo Hun Chin because uh, for Vietnamese people... Uh, they would call me Chin, but for a Westerner, they would call me Leo. So I put my um, family name in the middle. It's some kind of playing tricks, you know, for the culture. It's like word, wordplay or, yeah, or just to clarify which you prefer going by? I I prefer people call me Leo, to be honest, because I, I've been using this name for the last eight years. And I chose this name because I think it suits me more. Right. suit my personality. It seems to me like an artist name, like Prince, <laughs> or, you know, it's like, yeah, yeah. that's just Leo. I've, I've, I've known you for, I don't know, six years maybe, or... More than that. Something like that, and uh, you've always just been Leo, to I, the point where I had to ask for your family <laughs> name today. <laughs> well, it's all right. There's only one Leo, right? Do you have a different family name now? No, no. Okay, you're very um, modern. Well, the thing is, the, in the well, my husband is Spanish, and in the Spanish culture, you, when you get married, you don't have to change your last name. That's so, a Spanish thing, yeah. specifically? <laughs> well, I think. Spanish culture, people have sometimes like 10 names. or. Well, um, in their names, they have two last names. They don't have middle names. Like, my, like Ruben, his name is Ruben Martinez Lopez. And Martinez is a main last name from his dad and Lopez is the last name from his mom. But when, if you ask him what is your last name, then it would be Martinez, which is in the middle, not the last. You know what I mean? They don't have the middle name. Right. They have two last names. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, but he goes by his first last name and not his second last name? Is that, is like That's the rule. Yeah, like because you, you always go with the, the name, uh, the last name from the father. Okay. But now the, in the Spanish law, you can, you can swap, you can choose. For example, if uh, we have a kid and we can name our kid with my last name first and then his last name after. Just to make it easier. Right. Because when he, when he got to the U.S., and he always have trouble like filling the form and when they see his passport, oh, this is your middle name. No, that's my last name. Not with, I don't have middle name. But you know, like to the Western, like in general to the American culture, there's no such a thing like two last names. It's weird. So in the future, if we want to have kids, we want to make it easier for the kid, then we're gonna put my last name first and then the Martinez, his last name after. Just make it easier. Um, we went right into this without, I, I've been normally giving a bit of an introduction to the guests at the beginning of each episode, and we just <laughs> went right into like kind of a, a side tangent. That's okay. I just want to circle back and, and, uh, mention that, uh, Leo's been running her own fashion brand called Sintolina. Yes. For how, how long now? For almost five years, I think. I started this in April 2014 uh, with the intention of just doing it for fun. Like one design, I make only one item. Uh, if nobody buys it, then I wear it. That's all. And I didn't really want to make it as a big brand. And at that time, I wanted to do it just to help me um, pay my tuition fee for interior design. That's all. But after two years... Um, I got a lot of good feedback from my friends, from customers. So in 2016, I registered as a business. And since then, I just keep going. What, what I like about the story of Sintolina is that 
it's in many ways the opposite of what I tried to do with Seifu. Yeah. And what did you try to do with Seifu? I tried to launch big,、mm. um, but I and wait, wait,、uh, just for the context, like you mostly know Seifu as like my motorcycle jackets and stuff,、mm-hmm. and the plan was to get some customer feedback. Like actually, your husband. Is one of our only early adopters for the jackets. We still have that jacket at home. And、um, the you know where the original plan was okay. We're gonna get some feedback from some initial adopters, make some adjustments to the design, and then do a big marketing push, and kind of try to launch big, mass pro- in a way like kind of mass producing、mm. the jackets.、Uh, w- when we switched. To work on this bag for the Nintendo Switch, which I call the Switch Bag,、um, kind of put everything else on hold for a year and a half, and at this point haven't gone back to it. And、um, I guess what I want to say is like, whereas I feel that you've taken a step by step approach and grown organically. Yes, I. Well, to be honest, I started Sintalina、uh, with zero capital. Like、I don't. I didn't have like you know a lot of money to put in, so I would say I that that's the reason why I take、uh, small steps and to see the feedback from people if they like it or not. And I learned actually like during the first two years, I learned a lot about woman body type. Yeah, that that, that is something very interesting because I always make clothes for myself, right? And I only sell what I can wear. But then, through time, I understand the women figures. We are so different, like from Asian culture to the Western culture. We're all different, so I have to adapt it. I have to make it more available to other people, not just only for myself anymore. And of course, like at the beginning, only one design, one item, and then slowly five items, and then now I have to do sizes. Like let's say 10s, 10m, and 10l, because now I understand more of my market.、Mm. Uh, I understand more of my、uh, customer behavior or customer body type, something like that. So I stand a little bit step by step. I think it's safer. <laughs> That's how I feel.、Uh, luckily, many of your items don't really have sleeves.、Right? Um, I don't like sleeves. <laughs> yeah. That's the reason why I don't really make. Dresses with sleeves,、uh, but I do kimono. So kimono they have sleeve, but it's a very different、um, tie-up clothing design. Yeah, and it's, it's lo- loose, loose, yeah,、so、loose fitting. So easy. I was trying to do form-fitting stuff with、uh, sleeves, and so you know, if I'd find、um, everybody's body type was so different,、mm-hmm. whereas. Maybe somebody had a small shoulder size, but a large stomach size. Yes. Or they had a, a long torso and arms, which could be considered large, but they were very skinny. Uh huh. You know, so the length would be their chest size would be appropriate for a medium or small jacket, but their arms and torso length were more appropriate for a large or、I、extra、know. large, and th- that became like a big. Question mark for me that like kind of stopped me, stopped me progressing that、mm. that product line in many ways because like whose body do I make it for? And it it didn't really seem feasible. It wasn't really scalable to tailor make everybody's. It's、jacket. it's not easy because well you are also in this business like each. Um, size you have to make a pattern, and it's very difficult. If every single time you have to make like ten for one design, so that's why in my design I tr- I like the loose fitting, and I try to do something that adjustable. You know, like for let's say、um, a skinny girl、um, would look good, but also maybe not so skinny girl could also fit something like that, and it's. My principle is easier to tighten and shorten than extend. So I always do a bit loose and longer than necessary, and、uh, because we ha- we all different. Sometimes you can meet like you can have some very skinny girl but very tall, or sometimes it's the opposite. So I'm trying to do minimize the the work as much as possible.
I also found it maybe a little bit more challenging being in Saigon, kind of in the circles that we run in, which is, let's say, half foreigner and half Vietnamese. Mm. Like if my if I was only targeting a American body type, I might be able to abstract my idea of sizing a little bit easier. But like Vietnamese sizing and Western sizing is not necessarily compatible or the same system. Like no. a large in uh, Vietnam is like a, I forget now, <laughs> but you know, it's like um, what would be considered a large in Vietnam might be considered a medium or a medium in, in America, for instance. Yeah. Um, Correct. And then of course, like different torso ratios and, and stuff. So uh, yeah, I'm not really going anywhere with that other than just to say like your audience, I, I assume is, uh, I have half, half now, like 50% the audience, uh, they are Westerners and 50, the other 50 is Vietnamese, like more and more Vietnamese people. They like my brand now because, um, it's quite different from the general market here. The general market here, people like to have the very form fitting. Or sometimes it's more into the Korean style, like the cute style. Like why my design is more um, more feminine. You know, like it's not girly, but it's feminine. It's like it makes you feel you are a woman. Like I'm, I'm not trying to make you feel uh, as a girl, but I'm trying to make you feel as a woman. And as a woman, you should be confident with whatever body type you have. Mm. And... Um, and I'm very lucky because my partner, she's from Spain. And so I have a model, you know, which is the, represent the Western um, body type. And me, I represent the Asian. So that's why based on my size and her size, we make our own uh, sizes. And then we make uh, one more in between for okay. the middle. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Makes so that's sense. how we cover everyone. Yeah. Um, I want to... I think it could be interesting to talk about an idea of femininity. Mm. Um, this might not, you know, I haven't gone out partying in, in many years now, but <laughs> uh, when, okay, I had a friend actually from, from Spain also. I don't know why today ended up being a Spanish episode. It's, <laughs> I, I don't know why, why this has happened. Uh, but he was like a, an artist, I would say. Um, and we were going out one evening and uh, we went to uh, what was at the time, what was that? There was like a bar at the corner of... Um, Which one? Les, Les Soliers. La Fenecele. There you go. The corner of Li Chang and Buster. Yeah. Yeah. So we went there for an event and the crowd was um, very English teacher-y. And, um, and <laughs> I'm like really hesitant to tell this story because I'm trying to figure out the angle where I, I don't look judgmental. But I'm very judgmental. As a designer, <laughs> I like to make judgments. Like I think this is aesthetically nice and aesthetically... Not nice. Let's right? say, let's call it opinion. Right. So I have opinions that may not play well in amongst some, some of my friends. I'm not sure. So I'm a little nervous, but let, let's go ahead. Let's just do this. Um, <laughs> so a decidedly English teacher, female crowd at that event. Mm. And then we, after that, we went to Lush. And then we're like, ah, oh, finally like an event where women look like women and not. <laughs> I think I know what you mean. Okay. You know, like there's a, there's this thing that's happened in America, maybe England, maybe Australia, um, but certainly parts of America where what in, in some era could be considered a feminine aesthetic has been replaced by a fairly what you might call masculine aesthetic or kind of a sloppy aesthetic frumpy could be another word um even in japan these days i find that most women are wearing comfortable brown clothing mm. 
It's very earthy, very organic, but not feminine in in several ways. Now, the the type of femininity that I think your brand is making is is uh, towards the elegant side. Yes. Whereas the traditional Vietnamese uh, going out to party cocktail dress is way more towards a, uh, as as you were saying, form fitting. I would <laughs> say, in my opinion, it depends on the certain age of the group of women, right? Because when I was much younger, I used to have form fitting dresses. Because, of course, I want to show off a lot of things. My body, my legs. I feel very sexy. I think I'm still sexy. But, you know, like, at a different period of time, you know, we would feel um, attracted to different style of fashion in a different way. Depends on our maturity, I would say. Maybe age is a number, but maybe the maturity and maybe our lifestyle at that time, something like that. Could have something to do with economies as well because um, yeah. Vietnam is in a bit of a bubble, has been in a bubble for the last 10 years. Mm -hmm. And um, Japanese bubble economy, women dressed similar to how women have been dressing at nightclubs in, in Vietnam in the last during the last 10 years. Okay. But now that the economy slowed down, everybody's wearing austere <laughs> fashion, you know, not form-fitting, not colorful. Whereas here, it's form-fitting, it's flowery, floral prints and form-fitting. I mean, there are bright colors, flashy, showing off. But you know, the thing is, I've been uh, observing, like the style of, are you familiar with the resort um, design? You know, like clothes for the resort, and most of the clothes for a resort is very loose, very, you know, like earthy. So sometimes people argue that for people who has a lot of, you know, like economy, uh, who has more money, who go always go to have holidays in resort, they don't like form-fitting uh, clothes, but they like more loose one. You might be wearing that loose clothing on top of your bikini, though, too. Yes. Like a, a cover up or whatever. What, I don't know. The, I don't know the terms. A cover up. You know? Yeah, you could say cover up. Yeah, when you go to the beach, but also like when you just, um, like in the evening you don't go to the beach anymore, but you can just like put on a very um, simple but elegant dress to go have a nice romantic dinner in a resort with your loved ones, something like that. And people, if you are in the re, in a resort trying to relax, of course they're not gonna try to put on any form fitting dress they not they don't want to impress that person that much anymore it's it's a different occasion already you know as a man i do the same thing okay um part of it i think is driven by practicality though oftentimes when you go to a resort the weather is warm right you don't go to a cold beach resort no. right you go to a hot beach resort <laughs> <laughs> i think uh, absolutely <laughs> and If it's hot, of course, you have the risk of humidity and sweating. Hmm. So you want something that's going to um, maybe be long to keep off mosquitoes, yeah. but be Good loose point. enough that it's not going to stick to your skin, not going to constrict your movements. Well, at this point, I would say it's more about a material, right? Uh, also, the form, I mean, the, the style of the design of the dress also is a material, Like you said, it's going to be hot. So the material should be um, organic, should be um, something like cotton, something breathable, like linen. linen. Yeah. yeah. But what about you? What is your, um, what would you refer? A form-fitting dress on a woman or a loose one? Oh, and so it depends on the occasions. <laughs> As a man, what, what, yeah. what do you, you want to see? I think it's maybe you care more it, about the silhouette. Maybe like it, it's loose enough, but it's still you know like a review. 
the silhouette of the woman, of in, the body. I guess the thing that's the most important is posture. Mm. For anybody out there who might be wondering about how they present themselves, like attitude and posture are more attractive than how fat you are or how skinny you are or how tall you are. Mm. The way you move, the way that if you're comfortable with who you are and not slouched over, not trying to hide, but confident, confidence is sexy. Yes. Right? So as long as now, and I should say like from the reverse perspective, I, I oftentimes look horrible in whatever I'm choosing to wear because like I don't put a lot of thought into it often. And it's only through like the critique of my girlfriend or whatever that I'm like, oh, I guess I should wear more like this and less like that. Um, But I think whatever you should wear, whatever you wear should make you feel comfortable, right? Yeah. But like I feel comfortable in fat pants, uh, (laughs) P-H-A-T. Okay. Um, But the trend... at least, I don't know what the trend is this year, but the trend for like the last 10 years was skinny jeans, right? And I, but I like these raver pants that are like, not bell bottoms, but we called mm. them fat pants back in the day. And uh, I made a pair a few years back and I wore them around and everybody thought I was ridiculous. But those were, those were dope back in 1999. I think you're not alone. There's a lot of people... Like for example, Ruben, he he never likes the skinny pants, and I have a lot of friends. They also like why men nowadays they always have to wear skinny pants. It's ridiculous. Like they don't have the other options anymore. So you're not alone. But as worry. a girl, do you want a man to wear skinny pants so you can see his buttocks more clearly? Mm, I don't think so. No. 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 No, I don't think so. I mean, I don't have anything against it, but I would like to have to see, you know, a man's wearing whatever he's comfortable, whatever the fashion style that he he likes. But skinny, like skinny to the point that too tight and show off your, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's sexy. Okay. Nah, but that's that's my opinion. Right. What do you guys think? Leave a uh, comment down below and maybe we'll reply. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Let's uh, let it know. I know some of your background, your design background, but we haven't shared it yet with our listeners or our viewers. Um, you were studying interior design. Yes. Um, I mean, I, I remember for... And you were you were studying it for a long period of time, also. I studied interior design for um, three years, but it was my uh, second degree. My first degree was in business, oh. so I studied uh, business administration, and I studied for eight years because um, in Vietnam we have different system. So I I started with the associate degree. And then uh, from that, I upgraded to bachelor degree. And it, it took me a long time, like almost eight years to finish uh, everything um, because I was studying and working at the same time. So instead of taking uh, six or seven classes per term, like my friends, I took only half. So I could work. And by the time I graduate, I only have experience uh, working for a few years. So I could just like jump in the job I wanted right away but after a while I feel I I don't like that much because I used to work for corporate um, you know like big companies and very often I have to put on a you know fake smile for networking events and you know like you only try to get people you know name cards and then you go back to your office and send them emails and I get tired of that and somehow I just by chance I I changed my mind and I wanted to try for um, for design, and I studied drawing for two years. Uh, I wanted to study fine art and I wanted to go to um, where was it Holland, but I fell. I couldn't get my um, 
my admission there. I couldn't get my visa. And then I, I attempted the second time to go to Canada and um, for interior design, not fashion. I didn't even think about fashion at all. And I got accepted to the school, but I didn't get a visa. And right after that, I found a school here and I got um, a scholarship for 50%. So I, you know, I started and I studied for three years. And during the first two years, uh, at the same time, I was doing this. I was doing Sintolina and it helped me uh, pay the tuition fee. And by the time I, um, I did my internship for interior design, I was working for two months, a bit more than two months. And I realized it's not my thing. Like I still got more passion um, into like fabric and, you know, like from the fabric, I create a shape, you know, based on whatever material I have. And I like talking directly to people more like hands-on on the material, on fabric, more than, you know, like a brick or, you know, like wood. I, I love wood. I still love uh, interior design, furniture design, but it's not my thing. So I just, um, I finished, I uh, graduated, but I chose to uh, continue with my own company. There's so many uh, things I want to ask you as a follow-up to this. Okay, first, okay, I would say that one of my biggest weaknesses is I don't have any kind of business administration background. And I feel that that's like a weakness within my organization or within myself in doing businesses. Because mm -hmm. I'm so interested in the problem solving creativity part of it, but I oftentimes neglect the more administrative elements. So how has having, has having that background made your situation with your own business better? I would say having the background in business helps a lot in, um, let's say, organization in general, right? Like, um, for example, how to, how to deal with um, fabric seller, how to negotiate internal prices, how to negotiate with tailor prices, a lot of things. And um, I see a big picture and then I go into detail why a lot of designer without having the um, business background, they tend to go, like you said, like more into the detail of the creativity solving problem but they cannot see the whole picture, how the whole uh, system should work. So for me, I, the advantage for me is I see that. And I've been working in business for eight years before um, going into fashion. And also I run bars, I run organization, um, I work with people. My, my, my strong, like in business, I study um, focusing on customer service. So I understand the customer behavior. I understand human behavior in general, not all, but it helped me a lot in this business. Like everything I would say, yeah. In terms of like scheduling, okay, how, um, let's say for knit batch, uh, how long we gonna, how, how long is it gonna take to finish, let's say um, 10 dresses? And when are we going to do the photo shoot? When are we going to launch? What is the posting schedule? How are we going to launch the marketing? And because of having the background, the knowledge of everything, it helps a lot in this business. Because retail business is not easy. And if, just, if I just sit here and draw and um, I don't know how to sell, then I, can, I cannot make money, right? Yeah. Mm. What have you found to be the most successful strategies for sales for your business? The most successful one is um, I work with concept stores uh, where, you know, like before I used to work with Cocois, uh, Luzin, where um, they have a lot of tourists. They have a lot of people visiting every day. And just by having a corner there, people just walks in, um, walking by, passing by, and they see my brand. And once they like it, they will look for it. 
And also with the help of social media nowadays, uh, Instagram, Facebook, I have influencer contacting me. Uh, hey, I come across um, Instagram and I saw your brand. I'm going to um, visit uh, Ho Chi Minh uh, next week or something. Can we do some collaboration? And that's also a very successful um, uh, aspect for the business mm -hmm. because people get to know you more because you diverse, you know, like the content, uh, a lot of things. Uh, I'm gonna ask this. I hope you don't mind. And then, um, you know, you can only only answer what you feel comfortable answering in sure. regards. But so, if an influencer contacts you, do the deals? Uh, do you have to pay them cash? Do you get a free dress? Like what or you just promote their channel and they promote your channel? What's the kind of relationships? It's, I would say it depends on the influencers. Um, some influencers, we change. Like I give them my um, design and they travel everywhere. They take photos. And when they post their photo, they will tag my design in it, uh, my brand in it. Uh, some influencers, they come, they're happy to, to pay, to buy, to have their own. And then uh, they will take also a picture and they tag my brand. So it really depends. But I don't really give them cash. Yeah. Um, actually, none of them have a, ever asked for cash. What they really want is just to have nice clothes. And they also want to help, you know, the local designer like me to put out the word and, you know, a threat, you know, like bring our brand to more international world, something like that. So it's a mutual benefit. And I would say um, it's quite genuine because I, some people contacted me, but it's really, you know, like depends how you feel, uh, what is your feeling toward that person? Sometimes you can say yes, sometimes you say no. You know what I mean? If, if, if that person, um, is from a friend introducing you. Maybe you feel more comfortable or something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But so far for me, it's working well. You know, Tui Me? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so Tui Me, she's, um, she's been helping me promoting Sintalina a lot. And I think like she, she got the opportunity to go travel everywhere, which I don't. So I really appreciate that she thinks of me. And... She got some uh, pieces and she go take photo everywhere for me. Oh, that's fantastic. Uh -huh. Yeah. Um, back when I was organizing the design exchange series of events, she was actually my roommate for a while. Like not really housemate, I should say. And she was like also very kind of supportive. Like, yeah. She's yeah. incredible. I really like it. And I think like she bought one dress for me from Cocois a uh, long time ago. And then she went to Dubai. She tagged me in the picture and like, she looks amazing, you know? And, you know, at that time she was just helping me. And then, um, last year she came back and then she started, uh, she messaged me. Like, hey, Leo, I'm coming back and I love your brand. I would love to help to support you more. So we meet up, um, I gave her a few pieces and she looked great. That's great. Yeah. Hi, Tweemi. <laughs> Hi, Tweemi. <laughs> um, okay this, the other question I was going to ask was what parallels or similarities or even differences do you find between your formal training in interior design and your current practice of fashion design where's the crossover in, you know? it's um, isn't Interesting question. Uh, let me think how sh how should I put it. So, for interior design in practice, we work with existing material, right? And ba let's say um, you want to make a table, and you you can use either wood, you can use plastic. You have many types of many different type of material and then based on that you will create a shape you create um you know model prototype whatever so i apply that principle to fashion most of fashion designer by train they would create sketches first and then they will try to print the material i do the opposite mm. i find a material 
and based on the material, based on the color, based on the feeling, the you know uh, characteristic of that material, I will decide what kind of shape or what kind of form I want for that material. So this is uh, what I apply from interior design to fashion design. When I first started working on my um, fashion designs, I was researching because I, you know, my background was video game design. Mm. So I was coming at this as uh, quite the outsider and I had to do a lot of research. And one of the things I read early on was um, when I was researching materials, the, I don't even know where this was. It could have been Kaora for all I know. But the person wrote, um, if you uh, have a clear idea in your mind of what fabric you need for this design, like you make the design first, this mm -hmm. is, and then and then you go try to find the fabric to match the design. You're asking yourself for a, a world of pain. Yes, you're. It's going to be way way better for you to go out and find the fabric you like, and then design around that fabric. Exactly. And I found that to definitely be true myself as well. <laughs> you know? So yeah, I feel this is what I do because I feel more practical and more comfortable uh, in that way. And you know now to a certain point that now I know what kind of material I like and what kind of material I would go for this shape, you know. But when you print your own material, it requires a lot of, you know, capital. And, you know, like you have to design, you have to um, do a lot of, like, large quantity. And because normally they don't really do small quantity. And sometimes you just want to run a test. And I feel at the moment... Um, I'm not, I'm not comfortable with that yet, but maybe in the future I would go for uh, the unique pattern printing for our own brand, something like that. But right now I'm still doing the other way, which I feel more comfortable with. And I have, um, uh, I'm quite lucky because I have fabric sellers, I have my uh, resources that they know what I like. So whenever they have something new, then they just take picture, they send it to me. If I like it, I go and have a look. Or sometime I just, you know, just through photo, I I know that I want to make it. I want to take it, and I just tell, them, okay, keep it for me. They will keep it for me. Mm. So I'm lucky in this sense. Yeah. One thing I wanted to ask you was, <laughs> what's it like being in a creative couple? Does that make sense? When I asked that, and let me give the audience some background because um, Leo's husband, who for many years was her boyfriend <laughs> before becoming her husband, um, he has a background in creative visuals. Yeah, he, um, he studied 3D design. So he was a 3D artist, um, graphic design and 3D artist. And then uh, at some point, while in Vietnam, started a design agency or advertising agency kind of thing, yeah. um, Astro Pig, then later Astro, Astro Saigon. Saigon. Yeah. And then also started um, a beer brand, a craft beer brand, which is lovely. And uh, in the previous interview um, with Vitong, which will be the episode just before this one, we drank a couple of Tay Tay beers uh, just to kind of Actually, loosen loosen things up. So yeah, we have a <laughs> we have a logo sticker, a well a well used <laughs> sticker here. I don't know if we can zoom in on that or not, but sometimes opposites attract. But you you're both very creative individuals, so like you okay. know, my sister's an actress and her husband's mm -hmm. an actor. And everybody was like, that's a mistake. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> now you're both going to be out of work or whatever. Well, the thing is, yes, we are both in um, creative field, but very different, you know. Like, he's more in, um, in the visual, in the um, graphic design, and it's more computer work. And my creative field is more hands-on, more in material, like, fashion and Ruben has Ruben doesn't have any idea about fashion like I have a little bit of idea about um, um, graphic design 
And the thing, Ruben helps me a lot because during my um, study, my study time in Tea Design, we we also have to do um, um, presentation, right? And he's the one who helped me. Okay, this layout, this, this, this. How you go into uh, present? And he helped me a lot with the uh, graphic design. And he also helped me in, let's say. Um, giving me opinion how to combine let's say this material this color with this color I often ask him okay what do you think about this and this something like that so we occasionally we change idea um, and he helped me a lot with uh, hanging the fabric <laughs> I used to wash the fabric at home oh yeah so he helped me hanging them well not do anymore do you pre-wash but... the fabric before cut and sew uh, depends on the material yes because some material If you don't wash um, it first, when you make a dress, it will shrink. When right. you wash it, it will shrink. Yeah, I definitely found um, that was another headache that I came across in like the production. Um, going from like, okay, here's a prototype of a pair of jeans that I like to, okay, how are we going to mass produce this? Is like, if we're going to, this, okay, the, the denim we happen to choose shrank quite a bit in in the wash and i would say a lot more than what the factory reported like that it shrinks and it was the kind of things how many times do you want to wash it because each subsequent wash it would shrink like another 15% or something really yeah up to some number like maybe after three washes it, it's kind of a you know logarithmic it stops shrink like shrinks 13 or 20% for the first wash another 15% for the second maybe 10 or 8 for the third and then after that the other thing though is like after one wearing it it stretches back out like yeah if you you know so but i'm quite off topic here but um it's like okay so if it's if it shrinks this much within in, in from left to right or like with the weft or there's I, i'm forgetting all the terms but you know you have like the but normally But if it's string from left to right, that means you're doing wrong. Because normally it's string up. It, de I guess it, de it depends on, um, like some fabrics are woven one way and some are woven the exactly. other way. Exactly, but when you cut, when you sew, you have to choose the size. Right. So to make sure when it's string, it's string up, it doesn't string in. Y you know what I mean? Yeah, at the same time, this is like a, uh, was a stretch, stretchy denim. And you mm. definitely want it to be stretchy in the the ways that your leg is fat yes you know you want it to be stretchy in the width wise so whatever way that was but i, I measured it both directions like okay it shrinks eight percent like in the vertical and 15 in the horizontal or whatever and then try to reverse engineer all of our measurements <laughs> so that because if we were going to make like the easy way is to wash pre-wash the material before you cut and sew it so it's already shrunk And then the garment's basically going to be this, the shape More that it is. The shape, yeah. But if we're going to go into a m mass production, it's not really, um, that's not really. It's not ideal. Yeah, like like you, they you, just want to take it straight off the roll and cut it. Of course. It. But then in this case, I mean, if you ever do it again, I would advise, okay, you make a prototype. And normally what I would do, I make prototype uh, two uh, different sizes to see. And then yeah, you test it. You wear it, you wash it a few times, and then you will go into mass production. And and at that time, you know how many percent that the the production um, will shrink, and then you will readjust on the pattern. Mm. That's the only way. The other part that was, I think, um, not necessarily immediately obvious mm. was areas like the belt line where we which are like heavily reinforced and have lots of stitching. Uh, as I recall, they shrank a lot less than other areas which have less stitches. Mm. Like the areas with more stitches were tended to keep whatever size they were. And then, so like the waist wouldn't necessarily shrink and expand a lot, but the thighs would mm. because there was like less stitching in the thighs, for instance. Um, Interesting. <laughs> well, maybe I should not go to um, pants in production. I don't, yeah. <laughs> Um, fashion is this thing where I found the process of working with, we had an, an, an 
in-house seamstress and just having ideas and then producing them into prototype garments, I found to be extremely satisfying. Um, but going like the, the steps to go from that to mass production, I found to be disappointing, unenjoyable in several ways. Okay. Yeah. Um, like just figuring out all the maths for each of the measurements, like, okay, we have to take the shrinking, the shrinkage into account. Like I, um, I try to come up with my own systems. I'm like, okay, well let's measure the genes and we'll do the math and we'll find out the percentages. But somehow I found the results weren't as repeatable as I wanted. Like this time it was, it shrank 10%, but last time it shrank, the last time we did this with the same material, it shrank a different amount. And like, why is it different? Like, did we use the same temperature water? Like there's a, there's a lot of variables. I guess I could say like, for the average consumer out there or someone who's even just doing maybe tailor-made stuff and hasn't like started thinking about mass production, um, there's just a whole slew of hurdles, technical hurdles that you have to overcome. And um, So what you're saying that, okay, the, the design process from designing, making the first prototype is... Um, What, what was enjoyable. it? Enjoyable. Enjoyable. Very enjoyable. Very enjoyable. But then from the mass production, mass production there's, there's is always just like an obstacle. pain waiting to happen. Yes. Unless everything goes perfect. You know, <laughs> you know? I would say nine out of 10 is not perfect. If you're lucky, maybe halfway. But to me, even I've been doing this for years. But even, you know, let's say one design, the first batch we make okay let's say it's perfect the second time we remake it it's not perfect and you know like there's a lot of things it could be um at that time the person in charge who cutting the fabric maybe she made a mistake and then you know the tailor um who put everything together not the same person anymore so when you receive the final production it's not the same what you have sent Even sometimes you send, okay, this is a prototype. Please just make exactly like this. But when you receive it, it's not the same. It's so always the case. How do you, how do you personally deal with those situations? So here we um, we have to do um, quality control for every single product. So when we receive back from uh, our tailors, uh, we will base on the, the prototype we have, and we will. Most of the time, we will check everything. We measure and we take to see if it's um, the same or not. Um, and if it's not okay, we will have to fix it. We have to send back. Of course, it is a very um, frustrating and wasting time a little bit, I would say. But I have to fix it. Are there cases where you where the item can't just be altered? To To fix it, like it have to just be recut from the beginning, but you didn't, you ran out of the fabric. Um, I I think I had that situation before. What did I do? I think we just um, we just keep selling it, but you know, like in at that time, it was on. It's already like a different design. It's not like the original anymore. But we have to be. Flexible, I would say. I think um, so. This that time uh, we make a prototype with my size, and then whatever I receive back is way too small that I cannot even wear it. But we don't have, we cannot extend it, and we don't have any more fabric to remake them. So I just have to start it, a children's line. Put it out there, <laughs> and, you know, like hopefully, like people are very small that they can buy it. But still. Yeah, that one a bit difficult. Anyway, but it's happened all the time. Like the final production, the thing is, um, we still use uh, human labor. We don't use machine. Like you know, Sarah, I heard that they use everything by machine, not by human. But it's it's a different story. But here, when it comes to a human factor, one design, let's say even one tailor, uh, you ask her to do. 10 dresses for one design, one size. 
there's a chance two out of ten will be different. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So that's maybe while walking she was sleeping, or maybe there's many, you know, reason um, why it happened that way. So sometimes you just have to deal with it. Sometimes you just have to accept it. Like especially in Vietnam, nothing is perfect, right? You've been here a long time and you know how it works. Yeah. So sometimes it's very frustrating, but sometimes you have to accept it. And then sometimes you have to really, really, really go difficult on the tailor. Like, no, this is not what I want. And they have to fix it for you. Because sometimes the tailor just, oh, no, but it's okay. I think it's fine. And, you know, please just take it. Like, no. Sometimes you have to be like very strict. Like this is not my up to my standard. Please redo it. This. Yeah. So it's um, those situations are always like a, a balancing act because oftentimes, oftentimes, um, the, let's let's say tailor. Sometimes the tailors are working on tight margins. Yeah. You know, so if they have to redo something, or if even factories, they're working on kind of tight margins. So if they have to redo something, it basically means they lose money. Right. Yes. And then, um, yeah, it really comes down to I, the thing. The problem, like I really had with um, when we went into mass production on our bags, was they were very hesitant to stop the line. Like, if we noticed that there's a problem, um, I kind of subscribe to the Toyota production methodology, which is like you should stop the line. If 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 something's broken, stop everything. Figure out how to fix it and then start the production line again mm. because it's cheaper to fix it now than to fix it later once because if later you might have to just start throw the whole thing a, a, away and, and start over but uh we found in our case we found them very reluctant to do that we stopped the line i stopped the line anyways um then they like threatened to kick me out of the factory they're like oh. they're like no clients ever done this before and you know i was definitely stepping on toes in terms of like um the old guy who has been a veteran for of this industry for 25 years and you but know what was has the his pride. quantity uh, you were making before like 2000 Oof. 2000. Yeah. So you don't want to have 2000 messed up somethings. Of course. Yeah. Like if you can catch it at 100 and stop and make the changes and then go forward. Yeah. So for us, we, we are still very small. I don't, to be honest, I don't really like the idea of mass production, you know, because I believe we, we should all wear something different. And, um, my principle, like, like I told you before, I like something very unique and now I make it like up to 30 or sometimes 50 pieces. Um, occasionally, like very rarely, I make something like 100 pieces. Depends. Um, depends on if I need to send overseas a lot or not. But I wouldn't go up to 500. I don't think so. I think 100 is the is the standard. I could, I could diversify uh, maybe one design. Uh, with different colors, something like that. And I could go uh, up the number a little bit, but I don't think I would ever go into mass production, like 1,000 or 2,000 pieces. Like this is where you are going to lose control. For sure. And it's a, it's a headache. There's a bit of a tension between consumers wanting to be more eco-conscious, uh, fair trade labor conscious, this kind of, these kind of trends, ethical mm. fashion, I guess you would call it. And, and, uh, cost of goods and, and profit margins. Like as a, as a young fashion brand, I think a lot of young fashion brands out there, they're always looking for low MOQs and they're all low MOQ? minimum order quantities. Ah. Right. It's like you go to a, a place that makes stuff and you say, I want to make something. I have an idea. I want to make something. What are your MOQs? And then they'll say something like (laughs) 5,000 and you go, well, I want to make 20. (laughs) Right. And then they're like, please stop wasting our time and go away. And so, 
but when you do things at those kinds of scales, you are going to have waste. You are going to have um, all the things that people say they're concerned about get introduced when you have this kind of mass production. And um, But the, the, the flip side is when you only make 20 of something, you have to charge more money for it. It has to be more expensive. You don't get the same economies of scale that you get when you make 1,000 of something or 20,000 of a something. But right. that's um, that's where you have to make your own decision, right? Like, what well, my I still remember my first lesson in marketing is position. Where you want to position your brand, you want to do, you want to have like a very low margin in one product, and you earn money in the you know mass production, or you make money on one product. So, and What I do is to make money in one product because I believe with the smaller quantity, I can control on the quality of the product better. Mm -hmm. I can provide better customer service. You know, I follow through with all of my uh, customers and with all the store to see uh, what is the feedback, something like that. And I, I can say I charge people a bit more than other brands, but I believe I provide much better service. So this is where my um, um, marketing or branding strategy come from. So with the same, let's say with the same design, if the other brand chart, maybe 800, I would chart for 1 million. But like the gap, the 200 is for my service. And I believe I provide the best customer service. This is where I'm confident to say. That's fantastic. I couldn't, I couldn't handle the office life, you know, like what, this is my own office. So I have my own schedule. It's a different story, but like back to the interior design, um, internship, I had to go there every day at 9am sometime earlier and finish like six, seven. I don't like that. I don't, I don't like to be in one place. You know, it's weird because it's a presumably a creative job, but they're creating factory worker conditions. Yeah. This, this is the same as like um, video game industry, also in most cases, where you're supposed to be creative, but then you're um, oftentimes required to work overtime. But how are you going to create if you just sit in one place? Like for me, my inspiration is everywhere. Like sometimes I get bored, I just go to the fabric market. I go look around, I see what's available. And, you know, sometimes I just randomly walk around to see things, to see building, to see or just chat with my friends. Like sometimes just random, you know, conversations are actually my inspiration come from working in a bar because like you know i work at broma so broma is like a catwalk for me right so you know wh whenever i'm there i walk around people ask me where do you get this dress and then i have the opportunity to observe people i work there so i can i can watch people you know without feeling awkward oh i'm watching them and they feel okay that me watching because i'm doing my job you know so i often observe to see how people dress up in the evening, how they go out and what do they want? You know, like the girls, when they go out, they like to be, you know, sexy, elegant, comfort, a lot of things. And I get to talk to them, okay, you know, like get inside their head a little bit. So this is my, um, I would say my main inspiration by, by just talking to people. Yeah, Broma. <laughs> I'm still there. Broma, not a bar, the formal name. Yeah. But it's a totally a bar. It is a rooftop bar. <laughs> <laughs> but the name is Broma, not a bar. Do you know why? No, I don't. You don't, really. Because Broma means a joke in Spanish. Okay. Back to Spanish again. <laughs> Spain is just, we can't escape Spain today. No, I'm sorry. So yeah, Broma means a joke in Spanish. That's that why we, we want to make fun of the name Broma, not a bar. Because it's a joke. Okay. Mm -hmm. I get the joke. Okay. I'm not laughing though. You the should. joke's not funny if you have to explain it, right? <laughs> ah, 
I was going to ask, is working at a bar like Broma related to our conversation on creativity? I think it is. And I think maybe at an arm's distance glance, at an initial glance, you might say, no, how could it be? But you mentioned already quite well how it is because you use it as an opportunity to observe people Mm -hmm. and we're designing for people. Exactly. Right. And also, it's a place for me, like like I mentioned, Brahma is my catwalk. So when I'm there, I often walk around because I have to check on things. And even not just only girls, even men, you know, like they give me compliments. Like, I like I like what you're wearing. You know, where'd you get it? I would like to get one for my girlfriend or my wife. I'm like, okay, here's my card. So, you know, this is also where I do the sale um, organically, I would say. Like I don't need, I don't go to each table to say, "Hey, I'm, I have my own fashion brand." I will only tell them when they say, "Hey, I like, I like this. Where'd you get it?" And then I will have the opportunity to introduce to them about my brand. Um, these days, if someone was to just bump into you and say, "Where can I get a Sintolino dress?" Sintolina dress. What would you tell them? Hello. To come to this uh, showroom, is that where the best place or can they buy it online? Or um, I often send them to um, my main office here because here I have all of the designs and also I can, I have the opportunity to console them, you know, like talk to them and help them, like suggest what they need. Um, if they are not um, available to be uh, like to come here. I could send them to other locations like uh, Mayhem Saigon or Nha Chiang or even the Nam Hai Resort. Like there's a couple of places where they can go. They can also uh, purchase online, but I always encourage them to come here because again, like we all have different uh, body types. Sometimes you know, like one dress looks good on the models as always. But when, um, you know, like you try it on you, maybe I need to adjust some fitting for them, like the back, the length, a little bit. So I would prefer them to come here so I can see and I can help them. When you do an adjustment, do you do it on, on the spot or do you um, send it to like a tailor to get finalized? It depends on uh, what kind of uh, alteration. For example, if, you just need, if I just need to shorten it, like um, bring the length up, then we can do it here on the spot. Like some simple um, things, we can fix it right away. For maybe more complicated, like, you know, make it tighter or more, let's say more complicated work, then I would send uh, back to my tailor. I have fixing tailor and I have um, making like full, like putting everything together, tailor, like different type of tailors. So, depends. But we always try to sort it out um, and it's free of charge for the customer. That's why I provide the best service. Uh, if, if, if our listeners or viewers would like to learn more about Centolino, where can they look online? Um, I would say Instagram and um, Facebook, Centolina, like at Centolina on Instagram. Uh, currently, we're working on a website because we um, recently we have a lot of demands from customer overseas. Uh, internationally and I'm building a website to help them they can just you know look online with own up our products they can pay uh, through PayPal for example yeah and Centolina is spelled S-I-N-H-T-O-L-I-N-A Centolina do you know the meaning of it please tell me so Sindolina is a combination of um, Vietnamese and Spanish. I'm sorry. Oh, no more Spain. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> okay. So um, my high school friends, they always call me Sinto because my Vietnamese name is Do Chin and they, somehow they play with it and they always call me Sinto. Like a smoothie? Yes, like a smoothie in Vietnamese. Okay. And um, so one day I told this uh, story to my husband, uh, Ruben, and he's Spanish, right? So he just, and he started calling me Sinto, um, and he just added the word Lina, like Sinto Lina, uh, in Spanish means um, like a little smoothie. 
like to make it cute, you know, like a little smoothie. And I really like the sound of it, like Cinderella. It's it's nice. It's very smooth. And I I told him like, okay, then I take that name for my brand. And he thought I was joking, but I I didn't. I wasn't. I think names that seem like they might be a joke at first, but then just going all in on them are fantastic. Cinderella. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if they happen to be Spanish names. I know. <laughs> <laughs> And actually, um, my husband, who was the one who helped me design the, um, the logo. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I will put it up there. You know, at some point, we can just show it across our faces. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Thank you for taking time to meet with us today. Well, thank you for inviting me. It's my honor, my pleasure. Really enjoyed hearing your perspectives on these topics. Uh, yeah, I think maybe, maybe you're the first, you're the first fashion designer that we've gotten to talk to here. Like we had one other episode where uh, we talked to a, another a bag designer. That's a little bit, you know, I think quite a different approach and a different thing. So this has been a great perspective to hear. Thank you. Um, again, if you'd like to learn more about Cintolina, you can find them at Cintolina on Instagram. Yes. That's S-I-N-H-T-O-L-I-N-A. And there will be links in the show description and in the uh, episode description below. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you, guys. And thank you. see you next time. Please feel free to like and subscribe if you want to hear more of this type of content. Thank you, Thomas. <laughs> Good handshake. Firm handshake there. Well, that's going well. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs>